Grant on the way up here. This is not my first invitation to come. Whenever I was a freshman in school, I was a roommate with a guy that I did not know, a complete stranger named Blake. And I had theory with him, and he came in, I think it was spring semester, and he said, Lewis, this is going to sound kind of weird, but my girlfriend's mom wants you to call her. And uh, so I called. Of course, it was Sister Ann and Brother Herman. And I had plenty of invites to come up here and thought, at least at the time, I intended to do it. But 13 years later, here we are, and this is number one. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to be here. I have uh, had you in my prayers and hope that you have had me in yours as well. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And then we're just going to start out by reading the psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as I told you to turn to Psalm 23 this morning, probably everybody in here could have gotten really close, if not perfectly quoted the psalm. That's probably the most familiar passage of Scripture, um, period. Uh, You hear it at funerals a lot. A lot of the times it's kind of used as a uh, little devotional thing for kids. Um, But I want to present to you this morning and hopefully encourage you this morning out of this psalm. I think it helps out. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think it's really helpful that it's familiar to us. I think it's really helpful that we probably all for the most part know this. I think it's also kind of a detriment because we think we know it and we think we have it, if that makes sense to you. This psalm is is packed full of six tiny verses that equip us really for life. The, the, the story that David tells in this psalm is really a story of a life journey. He goes back. We don't really know historically when it was that David penned this psalm. There's a lot of guesses as to when it was, but really we don't know. But we do know this. We do know that as David is, is writing this psalm, that he's thinking back at a time and an occupation that he was involved in but was also popular among his people, that of a shepherd and sheep. And so he takes this psalm, and again, commentators will differ on this, but but the approach I'm going to take or the interpretation I'm going to take is going to be the shepherd-sheep imagery all the way through. Uh, He takes this imagery and says, this is how God is toward his people, and specifically, this is how God is toward me. You can divide the psalm up into two segments. The very first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then verses 2 through 6, 
are going to be the second segment, and they're going to kind of flesh out what David said in the first verse. Really, in the original, it's just the Lord, my shepherd. You see the word is there is in italics. He says, the Lord is the statement. The Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. The idea of I shall not want doesn't mean I don't have any wants. I don't have any desires. Since the Lord is my shepherd, everything I've ever longed for has come my way. That's not what David's saying. He's not saying since the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any unmet uh, uh, desires, wants, what I think of as needs that are really kind of wishes or things that I wish I had that I don't have. That's not really what he's saying. If you could take that uh, and, and apply really what it means in the Old English there, it's the Lord my shepherd. I have no unmet needs. I lack nothing. So that what I have is what I need for today. And if I don't have it, I don't need it, at least for today. Now, listen, as, as uh, human beings, but especially as Americans, and especially as young folks, that verse a lot of times makes no sense to us. It should be, the Lord is my shepherd and my bag is half full, right? Still waiting for the rest of it to come on down. The Lord is my shepherd. He's done good so far, but he's not quite finished with my grocery list. But that's not what it says. And so what David offers us here in Psalm 23 is a completely different perspective, maybe not even from uh, an Eastern mindset, but especially for, for a Western mindset to look at this uh, and to see what he has to say. He says this, God is my shepherd, and because of that, I don't have anything, and I can trust, I mean, not that I don't have anything, I don't need anything, and so I can trust God. That's the overtones of this whole psalm. I can trust God. But you know, it's one thing to say I can trust God, or you can trust God. It's quite another thing to say you can trust this specific thing about God. For instance, if I were to stand up here and tell you, you can trust me this morning, how confident are you in that statement? If you're very confident, you're probably not very wise because you don't know me for the most part. John knows me some. Grant knows me some. But really, you don't know me. So for me to stand up here and say, I don't know, if I were to make my declaration, I'm filling in for you this Sunday, you can trust me. Trust anything I say, everything I say. Well, at face value, that may be okay. You may believe that. But once you start getting down into what exactly I'm, do you mean by that, Lewis, then you might start scratching your head. Trust you for what? So you may come up and say, well, I'm running a little short on cash. Can I borrow a little bit of money? And I say, no. You can't borrow money. I don't have any money. How am I going to you borrow money? Well, I thought I could trust you. Well, yeah, but not for that. And then the categories could move along. As silly as that might sound, a lot of the times we kind of treat God that way. You know it's impossible, whether you're talking about God or me, to be able to trust somebody that you do not know, you don't know anything about, you're not real sure about their character. And so for us to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we can take that at face value, and really we can believe that, but we can't really understand it unless we know what in the world David's talking about. And so he spends the next five verses fleshing that out. And we will probably get to some of that as we go. But I kind of want to park it here in verse 1 for a little bit and, and, and see the fullness of what he's saying. 
we really do not know a whole lot in our familiar circles about what it means to be a shepherd, unless you've done some extra reading or, or, or a study on eastern shepherds. So when he says the Lord is my shepherd, we kind of get a vague picture, but we don't know exactly what all that means. Well, if you look in the scriptures and if you read uh, maybe some background on what it was that shepherds did, uh, really David could have also said the Lord is just my provider. The Lord provides for me in a lot of different ways. He feeds me. He goes on to talk about that. He cares for me. He redirects me. He comforts me. He pretty much cares for every need that I have. Now, you know this about sheep. If you don't know anything else, you've heard somebody either preach or you've read or something about sheep. You know this. Sheep are, which is the category we all fall in in this psalm, in this imagery, sheep are, if if nothing else, really stupid animals. Simple animals. The more I read about sheep and the more I read about how they, the actual relationship between a shepherd and sheep related to this psalm, the more it, it really gave me an appreciation not only for, for the psalm and the imagery, but for, for God and, and really opening my eyes to, to myself, really. You know, sheep are, are not just dumb animals. They're really helpless animals, and you probably know that as well. They have absolutely no way to defend themselves against anything. If they're attacked and the shepherd does not come to rescue them, they're dead. They're very short-sighted. They can see, I think, about 10 yards off. After 10 yards, they can't see anything. So if they ever get more than 10 yards away from a fold, they will never find their way back unless the shepherd goes out, redirects them, and brings them back. They are helpless in a lot of areas. One area is if a sheep doesn't get what we would typically think of as a haircut on a regular basis, they can die. Isn't that weird? But it's true. That wool gets so heavy that they'll lay down and get comfortable and they'll kind of start getting kind of cozy and they'll get flipped over on their back and their digestive system is a ruminant digestive system and so there's some acids and stuff in there that we don't have. And when they're stuck on their back for so long, it begins to swell and expand their stomach and they lose their circulation. And if it's a warm day, they can last a couple of days. If it's a cold day, they'll be dead in less than a day. Because they didn't get a haircut. David says, the Lord's my shepherd. That must mean I'm his sheep. And the description of that, and there's a lot more we could say about that, but the description that we get of how helpless sheep are, but not just how helpless they are, but how much in need they are of a shepherd, gives us an idea as to what kind of relationship David's pointing to here when he says, this is how God interacts with me, and this is how I must interact with God. If we were to have written this, we might say, the Lord is my shepherd and I am his scholar. Right? 
if we're honest. The Lord is my shepherd, and I am His... I don't know. Spokesman? And in a sense, maybe that's true. But we certainly wouldn't have said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I am this helpless little person that can't do anything without Him giving constant care and attention to me. Now, of course, we say that on a Sunday morning because we're at church and I'm preaching and when I give the question, you give the right answer because you don't want people to look at you weird. But I'm talking about what we really think and what we'd really say if all the facade was wiped out of our mind and we were to be completely honest. This is probably not where we would be on a regular basis. So let's look at the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed by before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and unto the fourth generation. I'm going to stop there. And the reason I go there is because this is where God kind of gives a self-revelation of Himself toward Moses as to who it is uh, he is. Now, obviously, Moses had come into contact with God before this at the burning bush, but as he comes before Moses here, this is what God says about himself. The Lord God... We could just stop there and, and, and spend the rest of our time there if we wanted to. The, the supreme authority, the creator, the, the, the one that is above all others. And really, the next word doesn't make a lot of sense. The supreme authority who is merciful and gracious. Those two, outside of us already knowing who God is and knowing that mercy and grace are both attributes of God, if we were to think about somebody who is a supreme authority communicating who they were to us knowing that we by our very nature are an offense to this supreme authority. You know, you really don't have to do anything in and of yourselves to offend God. I don't either. Outside of the blood of Christ, God is offended at me for just being me. I don't have to do anything. Just the way I think. Just the way I... I am. But he comes and he says this, the Lord God, merciful. Now there's a lot of different ways folks can define mercy. The best one that I've found, or at least the one I prefer above the rest, is someone who is unnecessarily kind. Unnecessarily kind. It means he doesn't have to be. And he knows he doesn't have to be. And even though he knows that it's unnecessary, he's kind anyway. Not only is he kind, even though that it's unnecessary, he's overly kind. 
The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, that's patient, endurance there, abundant in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. We get a lot of attributes here from God. We get His, his mercy, the fact that He's merciful, He's gracious, He's long-suffering. He's good. At the end of verse 7, we get the attribute of His justice. Now let me ask you this. Why do you think God gave us or even came to Moses and gave him the information that we find in verses 6 and 7? Was it so we could write papers about it? So that we could flesh all this out? Now there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong about writing papers about God. There's nothing wrong with, with studying and fleshing this stuff out. But why would God appear to Moses and reveal this about himself to him? Well, I'm going to say the primary reason God would do that is so that Moses would know how he was to relate to God. Not so that he could just talk about who God was, but so that he could live with the God who was and relate with him in an accurate way. So how does God relate with sinful human beings? How does God relate to his children or with his children? Well, we know this much. Just out of this verse, he's unnecessarily kind to us. Unnecessarily kind. He's gracious. That means he gives us stuff that we would have never deserved. He, he deals with us not based on any merit that we have. It's not a performance-based relationship, I guess would be the best way I could say that God is gracious. He's not dealing with you based on your performance. He's not dealing with you or even blessing you because he's so impressed with who you are, what you've done. He's gracious. He's dealing with you based out of the reservoir of his own goodness. He's patient. And he's abundant in goodness and truth. Before we even go any further with any of this, I want to ask you, is that how you relate to God? I think I just messed up the microphone. Is that how you relate to God whenever you think about um, just your everyday living, just, just your interaction with other people, or even your interaction with Him? If we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of difficult to do that, but that's who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, who is? What does that mean? That means the one that cares for you is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, full of goodness. But I would also say this. We ought to stop and ask ourselves this. If our shepherd is this, and he's leading us, then the question is not just how do we relate to God, but how do we relate to one another? Are there ever any avenues to where it is you have the ability to be unnecessarily kind towards somebody? Even as a church here, when I say even as a church, I guess I should say that's the context we're in today, so that's just where we're going to talk here. In the present circumstances that you have, I'm going to say you've got plenty of opportunity to be unnecessarily kind, which means it doesn't make sense to be kind. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to deal with folks not based on their performance. 
Now, you can't be like God in this sense, but based on the grace that God has dealt with you in, you're going to have plenty of opportunity to be long-suffering and patient. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to express goodness and truth toward folks. And so as we go through this, I want you to know that this can apply to a lot of different areas, but I would encourage you to apply it to where you are right here today. Not just to collectively the church here, although you should do that, but also personally in your own life. Because here's what I know. It is difficult. It is difficult to meet Sunday after Sunday in a congregation without a pastor. I know that. We did it for four years. I know it's difficult. I'm going to tell you what else I know. Everybody in here has a different preference and a different angle and a different timeline on which you hope and wish things are going to happen. And what I know is it will probably happen on none of your timelines. You say, well, that's why are you telling us that? Because you're going to be patient. You're going to be merciful. You're going to have to be gracious. It'll be difficult, but I want to tell you this. The Lord is your shepherd, and you have no needs. If you can live inside that reality, you can live a life that honors God as a congregation in, 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 in limbo, waiting to see what's going to happen as far as the pastor goes. God will be honored in that. And so I would encourage you to keep that in mind as you go forward from here. Isaiah 46. I hope you don't mind if we, as we get to some of these things, we kind of try to get personal with them. That's just kind of the way I like to do things, and I think the way Scripture was intended to be applied. Isaiah 46 9. You know this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Just those two verses. He starts out in verse 9 and he says, You remember these former things of old. You remember this about me. I am God and there is no one else like me. No one that falls into the same category as I do. All throughout Isaiah, it would come up several times where God would give a different version or a different expression of this same thought. Who will you liken me unto? Who do you know that's like me? What will you compare me to? And every time the answer is, and it's a rhetorical question, the answer is nobody. Nothing. We can't, we can't even, we can't wrap our minds around uh, who God is through comparing Him to anything that we know. And I guess you could say there is no reference point that we have to get any kind of understanding about God outside of God. So that if you were to know me and you were to know my little brother Tommy, you might say, yeah, that's Lewis. He looks like his brother Tommy. And you say, oh yeah, that's right. That's now I know who you're talking about. But if we're going to talk about God, I can't say that's God. He's kind of like, who? Well, they're not anybody. This is what God says to remember first. I'm God and there's no one like me. I'm God and there's 
none else. But then he gives us this about himself. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. We went to Exodus first just to kind of see God speaking about himself to Moses and give those attributes of his kindness, his graciousness, his justice, his goodness. And that's our shepherd, but we get a little more here, at least another piece to add to the puzzle. Because he's God and he does all his pleasure. He does all his will. His counsels stand and he declares the end from the beginning. So what's the point in saying all that? The point is this. You've got a shepherd that's kind. You've got a shepherd that's gracious. But you've also got a shepherd that knows how to get you where he wants you to go. And many times, that has to come through unpleasant experiences. I say all that to say this. While you process and live through not just this and as a church, but as you live through life, it is an important principle to remember that nothing has come my way that didn't pass through God's filter first. Nothing's come my way that has not been decreed by God for me to go through. Do we go through bad experiences? Well, sure, from our side we do. Things that we wish we didn't have to go through. Things that that we, we wish we could have avoided. Things that we can't explain and things that we sure don't want. But do we go through bad experiences as far as purposeless, wasteful experiences from an eternal perspective? And the answer is a big no. We don't. We don't go through through experiences that are purposeless. We don't go through experiences that are just wasted. It's important to remember that the shepherd leads the sheep and he knows exactly where he's going. And if you're God's sheep and he's your shepherd, he knows exactly where he's taking you. And sometimes along the way it hurts a little bit. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Verse 15, he asks this question. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. And I'm just going to stop there. Take those two passages, or those two verses. This is his first question. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. Now, as we think about that question in here, the automatic answer that we have is no. Right? That's crazy. When we hear stories about that, we uh, uh, cringe when we hear about a woman who has abandoned her child, a woman that's forsaken her child, those sorts of things. We kind of cringe. And so whenever God asks that question, we naturally think, well, no, of course not. A woman wouldn't, or we wouldn't abandon our child. Abby and I spent about 
close to six weeks in the NICU after our son was born in May. And it gave me a completely different perspective on the question that God asked in this verse. Because it was us in the room with our little boy, and there were other parents in rooms with their little children. But the amount of rooms that were completely empty and the number of babies that were only held by volunteers that came on the weekends to hold them was incredible. All alone, just there, laying there. They knew nurses and they knew volunteers. They didn't know a mother. They didn't know a father. That was a couple of months ago. Will a woman forsake her second child? As, 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 as impossible as that sounds, to say it's even uncommon would be a stretch probably if you were to tour many NICUs. I'm not saying that's always the normal. I am saying this. It's probably not as rare as we think it is. But God says this. Yea, they may. They may forget. Yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have thee graven upon the palms of my hands and thy walls are continually before me. And so while he uses the imagery of that relationship of a mother and a child, which we know naturally is a close, intimate relationship. Listen, there is no comparison. I love my children and we have a good relationship, but I would be lying if I told you that there was no difference between my capacity probably really and the emotions and the investment that I have in the lives of my children and my wives there is something different there they do something and they kind of get hurt a little bit and I think oh, you know they'll get up and get over it that won't be the first time or the last they'll be fine but not, not Abby she's not that way she wants to care for them. She wants to make sure they're okay. She wants to make sure if we don't have something that Lily likes, well, then it's fine with me if she she, she sits there and, until she either eats it or she's hungry enough to, to eat it the next day. Abby's not that way. Most mothers aren't that way in the sense of they're more attentive, I guess I should say, than fathers to the needs of their children. God says, listen, as close and as attentive as a mother would be to her child, they still have the ability and the capacity to forsake that child. He says, I don't have that. You're graven on the image, or you're, you're graven on the palms of my hand and your walls are ever before me. He says, you're, you're here. You're always in front of my face. And so your shepherd, number one, is gracious, merciful, uh, kind, good, Nothing is coming into your life that has not passed through His hands, through His decrees. But not just that. He's involved in your life and in a relationship that's closer than any relationship or any capacity that you have ever dreamed of. And so, we could go on to get more descriptions here, but that kind of adds at least a little bit of meat to the bones when we say the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He cares for me. He loves me. He's intimately involved in my life. He's, he's, he's attentive to my needs. He's, 
not just leading me day by day, but He's already declared the end from the uh, the end from the beginning. He knows where we're headed, and He's kind and gracious toward me on the journey. We'll go back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just a note here out of a a book on sheep and shepherding and this psalm. It says, It was the shepherd's job to see that the sheep were fed, watered, and rested. He protected them from predators and at times put his own life on the line. Above all, the shepherd protected the sheep from themselves and from their own foolish mistakes, from their tendency to wander, from their bad habit of getting caught in tight spots. There was no glamour in the life of a shepherd, but sheep can't live without one. Sheep can't live without one. In Genesis chapter 48, Jacob makes this statement. And while you're probably already well aware of this, the theme of the sheep and the shepherd as far as God and His his people is a theme that runs straight through the entire Bible. Uh, It doesn't just pop up in Psalm 23. It's not scattered here and there. It's all over the place. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, is what Jacob has to say. And he blessed Joseph and he said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Now, we're just taking a little snippet of what he said. He says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God which fed me. That word fed is the same word shepherd. The God who shepherded me. The God who fed me all my life long unto this day. And so I want to ask you what your testimony is there. I'm not asking have you been aware of the fact that God has fed you or that God has shepherded you all your life long, even up to this day. I'm asking you, is that even a possibility in your thinking? And if it is a possibility in your thinking, can you look back and see God's providential dealings in your life even up to this day? Of course, the answer is yes, if you try. You know, the thing about God's providence is we can't outrun it, and we can't really see it in the future. The only thing we can do is look back and be amazed by it. I say that to say this. If you are aware of God's providence in your past, you can trust in His leadership for you in the future. If God could take me in this this roundabout path to get me to where I am today, why would I doubt that He would be involved in my life tomorrow? You all know the song, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. William Cooper wrote it. Uh, The friend of John Newton. I don't know if you've ever read much on John Newton, but John Newton was a man who was fully aware of the fact that God had worked providentially in his life as a young person and throughout. They spent a lot of time together, he and William Cooper did. 
And if you ever get the chance to read John Newton's biography, I'm telling you, you'll be amazed at, at just all the what we would think miraculous events that popped up in his life. When he was young, he was riding a horse one time, and he was riding down this trail in the woods, and the horse kind of bucked him off. And when he did, he fell on the ground. And when he looked beside him, he was a few inches away from a tree that had just been freshly cut, and it was a, there was a spike that would have impaled him had he gone over just a little further and would have killed him. Well, you know, that's well enough. We can call that providence since we are Christians and we believe in that. But if you keep going, there was a time where he and his friend were going to sneak onto a warship and just run around and explore. Somehow or another, Newton doesn't get into it, but he was hindered and he was about five minutes late. Well, in order for them to get to that warship, they had to take a little lifeboat from shore to the ship. Newton gets there about five minutes late and that boat had already left. That little lifeboat had already left to go to the ship. And he was enraged really, really mad. That little lifeboat got about halfway to the ship and it sank and every single person on that boat, including his friend, died. There was a time when they were in a great storm, that big storm where he was converted, if you know anything about his life. He was down below. The captain called him up and he was almost on deck and the captain said, wait a second, go back downstairs and get a knife. The person behind him came up, and as soon as he got on deck, a wave came and swept him off, and he died. After he was converted, he was a surveyor of the tide. He would go on to ships to, to see what, uh, take inventory of what was there. They said this about him. One thing about John Newton was he was never late for an appointment. When the ships came up, he had his watch, and he was looking at it. One day he was late for about 15 minutes. As he was on his lifeboat, on his way to the ship, they had explosives on there, and the ship blew up. Had he been earlier on time, he would have died. Sounds like some kind of movie somebody came up with, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like John Newton's just making this stuff up. That's not even close to probably being a fourth of these activities that went on through God's providence in John Newton's life who spent time with William Cooper, who was a man who was given over to depression, who penned the words, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. He rides upon the storm. The whole song is a song that's praising God's providence. And we could go through the rest of it. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take those clouds you so much dread. We've all got those. Anybody here not have any clouds that you dread? I've got clouds tomorrow morning that I dread that I don't want to deal with at work. I've got clouds coming up next week probably that I do not want to deal with at work. And what I mean by that is I have situations coming up with people that either irritate me, I do not like, or I don't want to deal with. Anybody in here free from that? If you shake your head, yes, I know you're a liar. We all have that. They're big with mercy and will break and blessings on your head. Then he gets to that last verse and he talks about the fallacy of us trying to interpret God. And he says God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. That's what Psalm 23 helps us with. It helps us to learn how to interpret life. Really, that's what God's Word 
helps us with, what it does for us. It just helps us how to interpret, know how to interpret life. When I went back to, uh, after I got my bachelor's, I taught elementary ed for a while, and then I went back and got my master's in counseling. And one thing I was really struck by was, I, number one, going in, I knew I did not believe all the secular Freudian psychology stuff. But one thing I was struck by was that of all these theories, all these guys are looking at the same thing. And so whenever you hear somebody that is a Christian describe what they would call depression being, they would describe it exactly the same way that somebody who was a Sigmund Freud follower would describe it. And exactly the same way that somebody that was a whatever. You take out of the 200 and some odd different theories that are out there, all of them would describe it the same way. You want to know where they all differ? They all differ when they start trying to interpret why and how an individual gets there and how and why an individual gets out of there. The Bible does that for us, if that makes sense. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you're going through dark clouds at some point. Not all the time. My cloud, my, my, my life's not a dark cloud. I enjoy my life most of the time. I enjoy people most of the time. Not all the time. And sometimes when we do go through different stages and different circumstances, different situations, we need our shepherd to help us interpret life accurately because if we don't if we don't we'll find ourselves looking for a different shepherd we may even try to shepherd ourselves which is usually what happens anybody here ever get anxious about anything you ever get worried about anything you ever fear anything I'm not here to beat you up over that. We all do that in some circumstances and from one one level to another. I always tell folks, I don't think that we have different capacities in the sense of, oh, he's not a warrior or, oh, he's not a angry guy. I think we're all floating on a scale so that I may be right here on the angry scale and you may be up here, vice versa. So we all have the same capacity. So when I ask you that question, I know some of us or all of us are doing that to some extent. You want to know why we do that? Because we don't trust that the shepherd's good. We don't trust that the shepherd really is going to provide for us. We don't trust the last half of that verse. I have no need. I lack nothing right now that I need. Same way with anger. Why would we get angry? Because things don't go the way we think they ought to be going. You're not acting the way I think you ought to be acting. You don't please me with what you're doing or with what you're saying or how you're living. And so I get angry. Why would we do that? Well, because we don't think our shepherd has given us everything that we need or given another individual that we care for everything that they need. And we blow up. Whether that be, I don't have the respect I deserve right now or I don't have the security that I deserve right now. I'll give an illustration. Several years, not several years ago, several weeks ago, months ago, we put in an underground dog fence at my house. Now, I'm not much on dogs. Not because I just I just don't like really to mess with them. But my wife has always loved them, and my little girl does. And so the dog was getting out in the road. So we put in a fence. 
and you've seen those or maybe heard how they work. You put the wire in the fence and you get it hooked up and then you put a collar on the dog. And we were getting ready to go back to the hospital with our little boy for a heart surgery. So we didn't want to have the dog pinned up the whole time and have to have somebody check on her. We wanted her to be able to run around the yard. So we got it set up and got the collar on there and the instructions said it'll take about six weeks to get the dog fully trained. And I thought, good grief, I did not want to spend six weeks getting the dog trained on this thing. So I put the collar on there and my neighbor was over, Brother Reggie Jones. Some of you may know him. He had his truck pulled out by the shed where we were wiring everything up. So we put the collar on the dog and we took her over to one of the boundary lines in the back of the house. We've got uh, woods at the end of our yard and so the wire was right there close to the woods. And so I had her on a leash and I kind of let her get close enough to feel a little shock. Well, it shocked her and she kind of got upset about that and came back. And there's a little beep on that collar when she gets close. So I thought, okay, well, let me, let's do it again and see what she does. So she went, of course, on that line, got shot, came back. Well, the third time, she heard the beep and she just stopped and didn't go. She didn't get shocked. I thought, all right, making a little progress. So I thought I'd try the front of the yard. So we went over to where the road was in the front of the yard, and she heard the beep and she stopped. She didn't go. We did it again, and she stopped and didn't go. And I thought, man, this six-week thing, I don't know who they're making those instructions for, but they're certainly not for me. We got this thing down. So we went back, and I thought, well, let me take this leash off. We're in the back of the yard, so she can't get in the road from here. So I took the leash off, and she had gone four for four on not getting shot, so I thought she was going to do okay. So she got just close enough to get scared when the thing buzzed her a little bit. Well, she ran underneath my neighbor's truck and just got stuck. It was right on the line, so she was getting shot the whole time. And she was going around and around and around and around. She was just trying to find her way out. She couldn't figure out which way to go, and we couldn't get down there to her, and she's just going crazy. And finally, she gets turned around, and she just shoots off into the woods. Well, the woods are on the opposite side of the boundary line. So we... Um, we took the power off of that thing so we could try to get her back, and she came back about a day and a half later. The point of that is this. There was a safety zone for her to be in where she would have been just fine. But once she started feeling a little bit of pain and a little bit of pressure, she didn't care where she was going. She just wanted some relief. And we are the same way. When we get uncomfortable... And whenever we get in a situation that might be painful or a situation that we may not like, just like that dog, we go haywire for a little bit. And then if we can get some relief, whether it's relief from the sense that we've actually done something uh, prescribed by God, prescribed by Scripture to resolve a problem, whether or not we just say, forget all this, I'm going somewhere else. A lot of times we go haywire and we'll take whatever comes up first. Jacob says, listen, I learned. Of course, if you know anything about the life of Jacob, he did that several times. He said, look, I learned I don't have to do that. God has fed me. God has led me. God has brought me back. We could go to more verses on the sheep and the shepherd. We can go to John chapter 10. Let's do that. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, Christ would speak 
directly to that. John chapter 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is verse 1, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he that calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. And then he continues to go on about the door and all that, about the thieves and robbers that came into the sheepfold. But Christ says, look, I'm the good shepherd. He would go on in verse 14 to say that. I know my sheep and I'm known of my sheep. But in the first several verses of John 10, he gives the illustration of what was a common occurrence in that day. Shepherds would have their sheep and they would be out in the fields and they would bring them in and they would herd them in to these big pens that were what we would think of as community pens. There would be several flocks in the same pen. He would come, lead them in, leave them for the night. Verse 3 says, The porter openeth. The idea of the porter was just a man that was a hired hand that was there to watch the gate, watch the the entrance to that. And he would not open that entrance unless it was a shepherd that had put his sheep in there. At least if he was faithful, he wouldn't open it up. And so Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, and I enter in through the door of the sheep. But this is what he says about his sheep. In verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he gets his sheep out, I'm paraphrasing this, he goes before them and leads them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice, and they will not follow a stranger, but they'll flee from him. This is the kind of shepherd God is. This is the kind of shepherd Christ is. And this is the kind of sheep his sheep are. Again, back in that day, they would have these community pens, is what I'll call them. I don't know what they called them back then. What Jesus is talking about here is, is, is literal. He's not making any of this stuff up. He's not even pointing to a word picture that he's, he's, he's uh, creating. He's saying, this is what I'm like. It's more like a metaphor. Because back then, the shepherds, and even in the eastern part of the world, the shepherds, as far as what I've read, work almost the same way that they did back when David was shepherding. so that they really do know their sheep by name, as weird as that sounds, or as impossible as that sounds. And whenever they herd their sheep in these community pens, they have these calls. They have these, I don't really know, the way they described it was like a, like a, a, a low grunt that they would give. And the flock from a particular shepherd knows exactly what that shepherd's voice sounds like. And when he goes to a pen full of all kinds of flocks, the only flock that will respond to him is his flock, and they'll follow him out. And if a stranger comes in and tries to mock that or tries to mimic that, the sheep are not fooled. Matter of fact, they're not just uh, discerning. They get fearful of that. They stay away. 
Lord is my shepherd and I have no need. I met with a woman for several months last year that was just so horrified that she might miss God's leading in her life, that she was probably supposed to be somewhere besides where she was, but she didn't really know how to discern that. And the only reason she thought that that was the case is because she had a strange feeling about what she was doing. There was nothing immoral about it. It was something she'd been doing for a long time as far as an occupation goes, and she just could not get any comfort or peace. So I just want to encourage you. God knows how to lead a sheep. If you're his sheep, you will hear him. And when I say that, I'm not talking about some mystical something. I'm saying God knows how to lead you. Providentially knows how to nudge you. Through his word knows how to guide you. And if you have ears and you are his sheep, then you will be led by his word. You will be led by his spirit. Listen, that's a comfort, isn't it? That's a comfort. To know that we're just as dumb as these sheep and we don't really even have an idea of how dumb these sheep are outside of just a few little attributes that I could spit out this morning in the intro to the message. That these helpless things are led not because they're so discerning and they they can keep up with the shepherd, but really the job is for the shepherd to keep up with the sheep. And he can guide us and he can nudge us. And not only can he, he does do that. And he does it in an effective way so that what he has declared from the beginning actually does come to pass in the end. And I want you to know that whenever we think about that, you do yourself a disservice if you think about some big, broad, general picture out there to where God declared something in the beginning, everything is white fuzz in between, and then Christ's second coming comes right there. That verse that we read over in Isaiah applies to today so that what comes to pass today in your life is something that God has decreed and something that God has declared for you in your life this morning, today, when you leave this afternoon. What you come into contact with is something that your shepherd has led you to intentionally and planned on it a long time before you ever came around. That's a new perspective on life, isn't it, if we could really grab a hold of that? Here I am in the perfect setting that God set up just for me for this minute, for this second, and I have the opportunity to obey Him or to please Him in this situation right now. It's almost as if the deck is stacked on our side to be able to fulfill God's purpose. Obviously, it's through His Spirit, but that's exactly what it is. Now, if we don't understand what God's purpose is, then we will be just as confused when we get there as we were at the beginning. So God's purpose for our life in an overarching way, you know this, we find that in Romans 8, that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That He would eventually get you to the place to where you say, my meat is to do the will of the Father. I did not come here, or either God has not placed me here to do my own will. He's placed me here to do the will of Him who sent me. Listen, that attitude is the attitude that God is forming in you right now if you're His and if you're regenerate. That goal is the goal that He's working toward in your life and should be your life goal as a Christian. That the things that I say... this is. Jesus said this, the things that I say, I don't say because I came up with them, because they're me, because I'm promoting myself. I say these things because I got these things from the Father. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides. Now, let me get to the 
second part of that verse. If we're not careful, we'll we'll get to the end and we won't we won't hit that because that's the that's the uh, the application for us in this passage. So back to Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I've said this already, but it's really, I have 